Nightcaps of the Living Dead. Polter Zeitgeist, Part 1. everyone. Thank you so much for trying us out. This is really exciting. I'm Jennifer Foster and with me is my BFF, my closest friend of how many years do we know each other? Um, so 16 years since 2004 when the first Saw movie came out. <laughs> that was our first movie that we watched. I remember like- that. What a what a gentle and bonding movie <laughs> to have as our first friend date. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I want to give you guys just a super quick idea of who we are. Um, Guillermo is a cinephile. I'm a cinephile. Uh, we both have worked in the film industry. I'm an actress and writer. He is a writer, editor, director, producer. Uh, he has gone to school and he's an accredited smarty pants. So we're just trying to uh, just talk about this and see... Uh, watch our favorite movies with 2020 fresh eyes. See how themes relate to Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, if things uh, are problematic. Um, a, f- a couple of production notes of like what the filmmaker's intent is and how in quarantine and COVID, how we can interpret messages differently. So that's the idea. Uh, I want to be Guillermo's hype man for a second. Um, how I met him, this could be uh, like six hours of how we bonded and came to be, but well, well, that's another episode and another day and another bottle of wine. But um, I'm going to say that Dr. G is a talented beyond genius writer and editor of several films. He wrote and directed The Shadows back in the day, which is streaming now on Amazon Prime. Plug, plug, plug. Yeah. And <laughs> you would say this is a gay thriller, correct? Yes, it is. When when did you make this movie? Um, we shot it in 2007 or 2006, and then it came out in 2008, I think. Wow. It's been a long time. I know, yeah. We, yes. eh, like, you made it. You don't have to give me uh, the IMDb <laughs> rundown on it. But the thing is, Guillermo made this very abstract indie gay thriller when it wasn't hip to the vibe to have gay inclusion and told his story from a very unique perspective. And uh, I loved it. And I happened to have met him on this this uh, film. And then we had our Saw date, right? Or was it that? Yeah. I can't remember. No, no, the Saw date is... In 2000, I think it's 2004. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. We were um, hanging so out. I think that's the it, first time we met. And then when we met Matt, yeah. I would say, well, I think we were running in adjacent so circles. Maybe it was 2000. You know what? We're to- I'm totally wrong with these days. <gasps> it was, okay. This is the truth. 2004 saw uh-huh. when we first met. Okay. The shooting of the shadows is 2005. Oh, December. Oh, okay. It's all coming back to, to me. Now. Um, but because and in 2005, and then we did our the movie that you starred in, I know, in yes. 2006, uh. which is when Hung Up by Madonna came out. Oh my god! Out, and then it was and we over. Jamming it was that. over. Like con- <laughs> confessions came out, and we're like, "You're you're my favorite friend ever." Yes. <laughs> we were inseparable since. Okay, so, so that clarifies. So that clarifies there, things. It's like 2006 summertime. Uh-huh. I think it was. May, it's when we went to Seattle to shoot Sweet Day, starring Jennifer Foster. Oh, my debut, my young little (laughs) self. (laughs) My, oh, when I was an ingenue and a blonde. Um, So, what was I going to say about this? Oh, yeah. So, in addition to being like a badass filmmaker and having Tarantino esque encyclopedia film knowledge, he went to the University of Southern California and he has two masters and a PhD. What is the title of your PhD? What is your PhD in? It is a very long title, Tell unfortunately. Me. Tell me. Um, comparative studies in literature and culture, semicolon, <laughs> comparative media and culture. Put that on a resume. It's It doesn't even fit. In the, it's crazy. Anyway, that's the name of the PhD. That's obnoxious. Yes. <laughs> I, they should have just called it film and media studies or film culture and media. I don't know. So what are you okay. doing with that, that degree? Where where are you? 
So I am at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, teaching in the Department of English and Comparative Literature. And I teach courses in film and media studies, video game theory, writing, horror literature, and many other things. And how many times have you seen Madonna? Oh, four times. Four times? It's the it's the MDNA tour, the Rebel Heart tour, and the Madame X, oh, three times, and Madame X. I just saw her right before the pandemic in Miami in December. And who was your favorite housewife? Oh, shit. That's a tough question. Um, Eric Jane. Yeah, I figured. I think that lines up. That lines up. I mean, come on. I mean, it's expensive to be me. <laughs> I was joking with you earlier that you've given me a free education. I'm on the Guillermo Rodriguez scholarship because you've taught me everything I know. Like, I feel like I was a cinephile before, but you really elevated it and made it so fun. Probably because of your planet Puerto Rico accent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I am from... San Juan, Puerto Rico. San Juan. San Juan. San Juan, Puerto Rico. Yes. yes. Nice accent. That was like whenever Christina Aguilera was uh, trying to not be a white Disney star. I remember on the radio, she'd be like, hello, I'm Christina Aguilera. And I was like, oh, oh, oh she was trying to bring, Oh, that's interesting. Because, yeah, they were whitewashing her for the longest time. And then and then she got, you know, she's like, fuck this. What, whereas if she would were to come out now, it would be kind of the opposite. Mm-hmm. Right? I agree. Okay. Yeah. But that's another. But podcast. that's another. That's another <laughs> day and another time. So yeah, Guillermo is awesome. He is, you know, he's accredited. He knows what the hell he's talking about. I do to an extent. <laughs> I have opinions, um, but just the point is that he can rattle off like the top five most obscure Italian horror films ever made, and then I'll look over and he's dancing at Fubar, like just to give you an idea who this man is. What are you drinking tonight, Guillermo? I am, well, I just finished Skyfall, which is the best motherfucking wine there is. Um, Yes, I know this is an early episode, but if we happen to get any listeners... Please, Skyfall, sponsor us. We love you so yes. much. We we buy you by the case. <laughs> You're so we'll delicious. Get, we'll get Adele to do a commercial. I, I know. We sing Skyfall every time we open this bottle. It's just so good, guys. It, go, go get it. It used to be at Ralph's. I think it's, you know, at least in LA, it's not there anymore. So I order it online when it's, I can. It's, a hard, it's hard to find, but if yeah. you find it, any of them will be good. The Merlot, the Cabernet, yeah. all of them Skyfall are Skyfall is awesome. So please sponsor our drinking habits. <laughs> it's just so good. Um, so yeah, we have made up these little bars in our apartments because uh, G and I used to go to the conservatory and Tom Tom and, and pump and everything and just like drink and talk about movies and now quarantine life and he's in Chapel Hill. Uh, he used to come out like once a month to LA, but now quarantine has made us apart for a few months, much like... I know. This is like an eternity uh, and a half. It's it's forever. So anyways, and you know, like all you guys know, everybody's Zooming or being holed up in, in your homes. And the answer to that, we just, you know, I have a tiki lounge. I have like a little tiki flames behind me and lamps and plants, a little tiki masks and bamboo in my tiny one-bedroom apartment on Fairfax Avenue. Guillermo in his gorgeous house in Chapel Hill has the top gold lounge yeah do you want to describe it the, so the top gold lounge is based off of tom tom actually Tom so great, uh, in west hollywood the name comes from my nephew because one of our crazy quarantine nights we ended up doing a music video improv of tiffany's i think we're alone now and he loved <laughs> it so much that he called it this is top gold. I don't know where he came. <laughs> He's like, came I up smell with that. a hit. This is top gold. <laughs> top gold. So hence the top gold now. Uh, so it has that kind of mid-century 1960s vibe. I have like my yeah. little, like Mad Men cocktail car with martini glasses. Um, I have a wine cabinet that's also from that kind of art deco. Kind of vibe. Yeah, so it's both, kind of like Art Deco. We both have like a matching 60s kind of fun, kitschy thing. Like I love Hawaii and all this kitschy shit. And you have this elegant, fun 60s Draper vibe over there. I like it. Yes. Guillermo, yes. would you like to tell everybody what movie we chose? So we have chosen 
Poltergeist as our first movie to discuss. And we're not going to analyze the sequels. Do you like the sequels? I do, but I do. I do because I watched them when I was a kid and I was obsessed with Poltergeist all through my childhood. Right. So they have their they have their their merits. Maybe we maybe we could. We don't know if we if this goes well. Uh, I think we're going to get we're going to beat this shit into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> We'll think, reference. We'll reference. Well, for one, I do want to say I love that you just poured yourself a glass of wine because like yes. we are getting to it. I heard it. I heard it. Um, I want to point out one of my favorite things about you as a kid. You've told me that you had the cutout of the preacher man, the scary ass preacher man from. Is he from the second or the third one? From the third movie. So it's not the the guy who was in the second movie. Uh huh. Um. I think Julian Beck is yes, his name. Yes, Julian actor. Beck, yes. Um, he passed away. So when they did the third movie, they did a they death mask him. of him too, right? Yes. So, so I had I had a, a life-size cardboard cutout in mm-hmm. my room of the Poltergeist 3 guy. And it was because my great, great grand aunt, like my grandmother's sister, um, she used to work at a video store and she gave it to me. It was like, <laughs> we're getting rid of it. And so I put this in my room and used to scare my mom because I would put when she opened the door into my bedroom, she would encounter a creepy <laughs> man from Poltergeist 3. And she made me throw it away. Uh, <laughs> it was very sad. Because you're terrorizing the <laughs> shit out of her. I mean, that is a scary, <laughs> scary man. <laughs> so he lived with me when I was like, I don't know, when was it? I was like 10 or something whenever Poltergeist that. 3 came out. For some major <laughs> birthday, I'm totally going to buy you that cutout and just place it in your home. You don't know would, which birthday. You amazing. won't know. <laughs> that would be everything. If you can find this, uh, some, yes. more, some eBay oh, yeah. auction or yes. something. It's going to happen. That would be everything. So you'll get this payback. <laughs> so we are going to discuss Poltergeist with, you know, with fresh eyes. We're going to talk about and, and drink. Um, so this might get messy towards the end, y'all. Like by the third act, you'll be like, whatever. But um, I want to discuss how you felt when you saw this as a child. Like, what did you think this movie was about initially? And and of course, you and I, we've seen this together and separately so many times over the years. And it shocked me with whenever I watched this with 2020 revision, like, Within the first 10, 10 seconds, I thought, oh, my God, I think so differently of this movie and the themes. So tell me what your first reactions as a little G were when you saw this. So this is a great movie to start with because it was, I think, the first movie I saw on video. I, In my mind, I was four years old when I saw this, but mm-hmm. I think I was more like six. Okay. the timeline doesn't really work. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> But I remember I was um, staying over at neighbor's house and, you know, back in the day, this is not, this is not even Blockbuster. I'm old. This is not even Blockbuster. <laughs> no, right? I this had like, like, it was like Showtime Express or something. I like those mom and pop janky yep, <laughs> VHS. Yep. <We laughs> I remember. King, King of Video. Oh, And yes. King of Video 2. There were two of them. Oh. Two locations. King of Video 2. They were doing well. Um <laughs> Yeah, so, I remember always wanting to see the Care Bears movie in Labyrinth every time we went to the video store. I'm like, I need these. Oh, the Care Bears movie. Right? I love the Care Bears movie, too. We should really watch. <gasps> that I think, brings me back. I think, it, I think as an older person, it goes over themes of death and grieving and empa- uh, no apathy. So I, I feel like we could. <laughs> All those 80s movies, 80s movies, yeah. people. Yeah. Deep shit. Deep shit. Anyways, okay. going back to Poltergeist. So, so you saw this I, on VHS. I saw this at a neighbor's house. Um, a sleepover. I don't think it was a sleepover. So I remember then going back to my house. They lived like right across the street. So mm-hmm. we watched it with them. My mm-hmm. parents were off somewhere. We had a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Um, Ruth, I think her name was. Or Ruthie or something. I mean, even in Puerto Rico, what a strange name. <laughs> so we watched it then. And I remember not only watching it at their place, but then going back to my place and my room and then thinking about the movie as I was going to bed mm-hmm. that night. So that's It, like it really resonated first. with you. Yeah. Did it scare you? Or were you just like, oh, that was a fascinating watch? I mean, or what? how did it? Oh, that's, I, I don't, you know what? I think it's the beginning of my obsession with horror movies because I mm. watched a lot. I mean, I watched a lot of horror movies 
like from age six to age yeah, 10 me too. Yeah. and beyond. Right. right. But like in ages that people now would be like horrified. How are they, why is this kid watching Nightmare on Elm Street? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, that's what was my childhood. And I, to me, it was, I think fascination is a good word. It definitely scared me, but I liked the adrenaline rush, but I wasn't like, <clears throat> it, it wasn't a traumatic type scare mm -hmm. because of course I'm like six. Right. It was more like, oh my God, I'm a, this is fascinating. Like what is this I'm scared, dark underworld? <laughs> but, but it's fascinating. And so uh -huh. I became immediately obsessed. Uh -huh. I have owned plenty of Blu-ray, DVD, a laser disc laser version of this movie disc. at some point. I know. Those things were huge. Okay. I wonder if they'll ever get the hipster revival that everything else has. I wish I had kept them. <laughs> I remember back in our in our poor days of uh, selling off <laughs> CDs and DVDs and laser discs at Amoeba. I'm just like, oh and shit, it, yeah. the rent's due. Oh God. <laughs> I know. And I in fact I thought about this last night when I was watching this for this for the podcast. I thought I had the movie. I yeah. don't have it because I sold it at Amoeba yeah. the last time. A lot of my favorites, oh. I sold at Amoeba. Yeah. And I remember you you let me have The Riches, the DVD box of The Riches. <gasps> Highly yeah. underrated show. I, I, I hope it gets a, a you know, a re-upcomments or a, <laughs> a reboot. Oh, with, with starring Eddie, Eddie Izzard. Eddie Izzard and, and um, Margot Martindale. Margot Martindale, but also... Mini Driver. Mini Driver. Yeah. Mini Driver, yes. Like, that was such so a good, good show. Um, but yeah, I remember you're like, oh, here, I'm moving, and I don't need this anymore. I'm like, oh, this is great. And you really liked it. You're like, yeah, you know, just take it. And I remember one of those months of, oh, fuck, I don't have enough money for the rent. Totally had to sell that at Amoeba. Yeah. But you know what? Amoeba we don't use DVDs. I know. We don't have any DVDs anymore, so who cares? <laughs> it, was, exactly. it all well, saved it our hides. It turns out Poltergeist is on Netflix. So, it was so was yes. Like, oh. um, I feel like I've seen this movie nine to 12 times i'm not sure um most oh, of them come on you've seen it probably more, more i'm, I'm just thinking that. of the one that i remember <laughs> i'm just like oh i went with guillermo to the new bev and and something oh, that's right yeah yes, we totally okay. do that and so dear dear listeners i hope that you're like us if you're based in los angeles the new beverly is fucking awesome um it's boarded up right now because of course covid but they always do double uh double features and guillermo and i would be like oh yes we're gonna like, make it to both of these movies we're gonna go to el coyote across the street and have some margaritas and chill and then we're gonna watch both of these movies and then like discuss afterwards and we would always miss the first feature because we were just getting lit and talking about the world and eating jalapeno poppers. <laughs> and, and always order the margarita with the ice on the side oh, and yeah. get two margaritas for the price of one. <laughs> Deep, dark secret of El Coyote. That is, that is an insider's tip. That is very legit. Um, and I do remember this one particular time we had missed the first uh the first feature we made it to poltergeist and we sobered up and then we're like oh we just gotta discuss and then we, we went to musso and frank's in hollywood yes and for that drink tip i want to tell everybody if you go there you order a martini you're done you are <laughs> done don't order any more we are professionals they give you the strongest martini you will ever have in your life the strongest driest uh, most amazing martini and then they give you the rest on the side like you're at a diner and it's the milkshake like you're like okay well here's the the remnant so drink up so it's lethal it is lethal <laughs> you will fall off your stool <laughs> you will see the ghost of marilyn monroe walking around in that old timey joint like it's crazy um but <laughs> what i'm going to get to is that i remember you blew my mind at musso and franks with the conspiracy theory of spielberg directing this movie and yes. not so um this is like kind of like i don't know if it's like an urban legend or what would you call it but it's always been this thing that because this movie was co-written and produced by Steven Spielberg, that he secretly directed it. He This was made at the same time that he was making E.T. Mm -hmm. It's the same year. So they, both movies came out at the same time. Which, I think um, that was the first movie I saw on VHS. I think. Oh. I think it was E.T. Anyway. So, 
anyway, a lot of people have always said that he directed the movie, mm-hmm. even though Toby Hooper, the director of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is he's the He's the founding director. father of horror. And so it's really exactly. interesting. It's interesting that people are like, well, no, it's Spielberg. And it's like, true, it's Spielberg-esque. And I do have to say, rewatching this in the beginning, Spielberg's name is on everything. It's like, story by, written by, produced by. I'm like, why is this director credit so separate? So... Did you believe this at the time? I mean, did you? So I I grew up thinking that this was a Steven Spielberg movie. I'm going to admit that. Because this whole thing was such a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know what brought that on. Maybe maybe it was the way they wanted to market the movie because Spielberg was such a big name at the time. I mean, he was the biggest director. Like, this is 1982. He had done Jaws. He had done Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, he was like the biggest, I mean, probably still is one of the biggest directors. By the time he was really a huge deal, he was really young. Mm-hmm. So, um, whereas Toby Hooper was known for Texas Chainsaw, which is like a gritty little older, and gritty, super dark, super dark and disturbing. And then we're like in these kind of Reagan conservative times, right? Which we'll get to it in a minute. I know. Oh, movie. God. Um, so I don't know if Toby Hooper was kind of viewed as this like crazy 70s, early 70s director mm-hmm. who this very disturbing. Do you think that this, this conspiracy theory was manufactured by studios or critics maybe just to combine an audience to be like to get really true hardcore horror films and also, hey, 80s kids, you guys are uh, clearly okay with some dark content. I mean, here you go. I think, yes. <laughs> I, thought, I now believe that it was sold for, to be a family movie. Mm-hmm. It's a, is the movie's freaking pg mm-hmm. can you believe that it's pg wow, that would it's never PG. be pg now which is another shocking <gasps> thing about the movie oh it's interesting PG. not even pg-13 it's pg huh um and so i think there was this element of like selling it to the family as a family movie a movie about a family mm-hmm. at the same time being this hardcore horror movie so i think that's what they were doing it's kind of like when today you get you know a, a new pop singer with a rapper in a song and they get two audiences in the same time. <laughs> yes. Or like Ariana Grande and Lady Gaga collaborating. So they get two fan- it's, yeah. I think they were doing some version of that. Yeah. So like, it's a Spielberg movie. So I now have discovered that this whole thing is bullshit. Yeah. So this is one of the new things that I brought into this viewing because I just recently watched the documentary on Shudder on Mm -hmm. 80s horror movies and they bring in a point that this is not true Mm -hmm. that Toby Hooper directed the movie yes it is a Steven Spielberg production it's based on a story that he came up with and he co-wrote the screenplay with two other screenwriters Mm -hmm. so this whole thing about him being the secret director or whatever it's bullshit it's completely a Toby Hooper movie and one of the things that I realized is that a lot of people think oh Toby Hooper Texas Chainsaw crazy, greedy, documentary-style gore, like madness. But he also directed Texas Chainsaw 2, which is much more of a comedic movie. Right. So he has a, he's had a lot of... He had... He unfortunately I passed know. away recently. Pretty recently, um, yeah. But he had a lot of range as a director. Uh-huh. So the mixture of tones that you see in Poltergeist are very much him. Hmm. The mixture of the kind of comedy with this confrontation this horror moments this is texas chainsaw 2 so i was like which came out like a couple i think around the same time i'm not i think maybe 1984 but Hmm. um so i'm like now i saw it i forgot about spielberg in this viewing and i saw it as a toby hoover movie and i saw a very different movie as a result okay so part of our revision is this is really a toby hooper movie yeah not a Spielberg movie. It's not Spielberg's jam. No. Step off. It's Toby. So, mm-hmm. I, anyways, that, I feel like, you know, hardcore fans know that. And I, you know, and we know all about the curses. We're not going to insult your intelligence listeners. If you're fans, you know about the curses. And if you want to go in depth with, like, the near-death experiences and death experiences of the main cast and, like, real-life exorcism and the skeletons and the pool, all that stuff, um, there's lots of that stuff online, and I highly, highly recommend on Shudder. We need Shudder to sponsor us. Shudder yes. and Skyfall. Like, Shutter come on. Shudder is getting us through this COVID nightmare. <laughs> they have great content. Um, they have a series called Cursed Films, and they do have an episode on Poltergeist, and I highly, highly, highly recommend it. 
Um, I'm going to say how I felt initially as a, a kid watching this film. I was super youngin, but there was something for that um, suburban element. And you had this little white girl with blonde bangs. <laughs> and I, believe it or not, as a child, I mean, I'm, I'm a ginge. I'm a sassy, redheaded, big boob ginge. <laughs> and as a kid, I look like a little Dutch boy. I have no idea what happened if, you know, if there was a parent trap swap somewhere along the lines. <laughs> I have no clue what happened. I look at pictures of myself. I'm like, that's really me? What? So yeah, I resonated with Carol Ann. And um, I also come from a super broken home, as you know. And it, so I was like a child of neglect. And my honest opinion, whenever I saw this as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, if there's a demon in my house, I think it would be a few days before my parents like figure that out. <laughs> I really thought that I'd be zipping through the house like Caroline, like, Mommy, help, come save me. And they'd be like, what? what? Have you seen our kid? Like, oh, yeah, four days ago. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> so that was the terrifying element for me. <laughs> it's like, they won't know that I'm not even here. Yeah. And, and I definitely, I was glued to that TV. So I was like, the TV is my friend. <laughs> so that was my, <laughs> my comeuppance with that. Um, I wanted to ask you too, um, before we get into 2020 revisionist history here, um, what was the filmmaker's intent? Now that we know that it, it was a Toby movie, not a Spielberg movie, Spielberg affiliated, but what was the filmmaker's intent, the message relayed at this time? So wait, so is it? Because well, now I've changed my mind about what that is. Well, well, yeah, <laughs> no, think, or what we perceive no, 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 it no, was what, back when, then. Yes, back then, because I remember you even telling me at most of them, Frank. So you're just like, oh, this is kind of. He wanted to direct this movie. Yes. he just didn't have time mm -hmm. um, because he had to do ET and something. Yeah, something had come out right before that was yeah. not well received. But I, we would have to look that up. But yeah, yeah. So anyway. Um, so I think initially when we thought of this movie as a Spielberg movie, there is this element of, you know, the, Spielberg, the element of wonder and facing something like very close encounters, right? A family facing something. And, and there is a theme of broken families mm -hmm. in, in some of the early mm -hmm. Spielberg movies, like in E.T., right? Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of disconnected parents, but connected at the same time. So I think the original intent, or the intent that I thought, because now Lily, after seeing it last night, I saw a very different movie, which is what we're doing this, mm -hmm. um, was that it was, you know, it was like a heartwarming story about a family dealing with this supernatural event that brings them together and, you know, and saving their daughter and... Mm -hmm. So I, it was like, yeah, it's a horror movie, but it's like a family movie. Mm -hmm. And there's these characters and they, there's all these like heartwarming moments and they're in awe of this event and they overcome it and they become stronger as a family. Okay. That is, that is not the movie I saw last night. No, 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 no. That's no. what we thought. No, it no, was. no. Yeah. <laughs> so, so revisiting this. I, you and I both discussed right before we hit record on this of, oh, we thought we'd come up with like four or five things to go, oh, we could apply this to 2020 and quarantine life and Trump's America, blah, blah, blah. And oh my Jesus, within the first 10 seconds, the first 10 seconds of the movie, I'm like, oh shit, this is so different. I am taking this in such a different way. So... Do you want to go first or should I go first with this? Because mine is like the opening sequence. The, just okay, the... You go first because my first note is a it's the opening sequence. Yeah. But it's a little bit into the opening sequence. Okay. So you might have something to say first about. Okay. I'm going to so start and then, like, and then you just. It's, it's before the second half of the credits. Okay. Right. So because we start with the MGM <laughs> lion, which I have a comment on later oh. on. <laughs> I had this like. <laughs> oh my god! Wait, and I do want to tell. Rest in peace, MGM. Oh Rest my in god! Peace, MGM. So the most rapey studio. I mean, there's a lot of rape. I mean, well, Miramax, Miramax and MGM. They were pretty, pretty diabolical as far as treating their women wrong and employees in general. But um, 
Yeah, I want to tell our listeners that we are not the cancel police. We are not high officials in the woke culture. (laughs) I just want to point it out that we are at the height of cancel culture. And there are things that could be problematic. And we're just kind of looking under the lens at this and being like, okay, was this meant to be this way? Is this a reflection of society at the time? Why is this still a thing now? And we have many episodes ago before we even touch Soul Man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I mean, (laughs) yeah. And and I really want to do Just One of the Guys, which... You know, yes, which she was, the director of that movie was one of my teachers at USC. Yeah, so. and apparently she's this awesome human being, and we have things to say about female directors as well. But yeah, so just to point out, we're not going to be like, well, it's wrong to watch this movie and feel that we're no, that's not where we're going with no, this. No, so I want to say the first ten seconds of this, the national anthem is playing, and with where we are in this hellscape of America, I just felt like this is irony pure irony also the horror has begun (laughs) we're in america they are throwing patriotism down our throats within the first 10 seconds so you see you hear the blaring anthem and then you see the monument of the soldiers raising the flag on iwo jima and you know it's an iconic statue and pulitzer prize winning photograph and you know, and I have so many friends in the South that they work in military service, and I have lots of friends who their brothers and fathers have died in the service. I'm not saying anything anti-military. I do want to say the entire message I took from this second and for the rest of the movie on um, is kind of like we, we as a capitalist society really just don't give a shit about nature, human lives, feelings, Mm -hmm. resources. It's capitalism, capitalism, capitalism. We don't care what the fuck happens. We got to get it. And so the, the battle at Irojima was horrible for both sides, like thousands of casualties, American and Japanese. It was a bloody battle, but more importantly, it was the, the one that spurred the decision to bomb Hiroshima. And I kind of equated that to the David Lynch episode and Twin Peaks The Return, that amazing black yeah. and white one of like kind of the, the evil of man comes out of that black hole of deciding to set the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. Um, and David Lynch is very, uh, I think in that episode, he plays Stars and Stripes. And I think America mm-hmm. the Beautiful, like it's just an ir- ironic musical piece that's always present in Twin Peaks. And so anyways, I didn't realize how often the statue was um, given close-ups on the TV and the national anthem blaring. And I also didn't realize, I mean, you, you probably noticed this, you're, you're more astute than I am, but I didn't realize that the hand, they gave a close-up to the hand raising the flag. And that hand is the CGI force that grabs Carol Ann and also the hand from the tree that grabs Robbie later. It is the same uh, outline, the hand holding oh the my flag. God, that's amazing. Right? No, I, did not, I mean, that's, that's. It we, blew we, my we, mind. I, one of the things, I mean, we can just say this right now from this first 10 seconds, I wrote this later on, but I was like, this is a very, very, very political film. Yes. Extremely political film. Absolutely. It's telling you from its first frame, like you just very eloquently pointed out, which is something that I never thought about. Never. (laughs) Never. You're like, okay, this is the 80s, and this is what what plays at 2 a.m., and I mean, I took it for surface value. Because, okay, my people who are not in the 80s might not know that way. Your TVs work this way every single time at the end of a channel's broadcast, there would be the national anthem with some images, Mm -hmm. and then it would go into static for the rest of the night. We didn't have 24-7 things. Right. Um, or streaming (laughs) or streaming or any of these fun things that we have right now um but yes so it's the first thing that you notice is that this movie is telling you from its very first moments it's political and maybe that was not how i mean that's not how i saw it when i first saw it i think that's how i saw it for many years Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. fact the whole 
broadcasting was probably just oh yeah the broadcast ends it's normal it's what yeah, happens that's what happens on televisions every single time so um so wait do you have any more to say nope, about you, the you opening give, yep that's, so that's my, what i okay, to so say. here's so totally saw that as well that that sequence begins right where the the t it's like after midnight mm -hmm. the tv goes into static And then I'm watching this opening sequence, which I've seen many times before. And the dog wakes up and he goes up through the house. And the dog kind of right. takes the geography oh, of the Let me house. piggyback on that, too. Because also the point of view of the golden retriever. And in my jaded older mind, I'm like, ugh, how basic. You have this golden retriever. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, it's, you know, it's symbolic of what you want the American dream to be that's going throughout this huge house. And then there's the girl with Lee's potato chips in the back. And I also saw how many well, times chips were featured. That's my first comment. It's about the chips, the potato <laughs> chips. And this is shocking. This is what the thought that came into my head. Okay. When I saw that exact moment. So you see the dog uh -huh. biting on the, on the empty bag of potato chips right. underneath Dana. Free, Dana is the oldest sister. Uh -huh. Dana Freeling's pillow. And then she turns over and you re, reveals the And literally, when I and this this completely colored my entire view of this movie. I said, okay. Dana, Dana has an eating disorder. What yes. the fuck? Yes, and she does. The whole movie is I, about her eating yes. disorder. And I, I never like, got that before. Before, what? yeah, she's chomping on <laughs> vegetables all day throughout the film, and her entire purpose for being, which is so obnoxious, you know, as a, as a woman saying like, okay, you have Joe Beth Williams, and then Carol Ann and Heather O'Rourke. Is that her name? Yes, yeah, I, I always just <laughs> I just call the actors by their name. I'm like, Craig T. Nelson does this, and Joe Beth Williams is like amazing. And anyways, uh, I was just so annoyed that the teenage daughter, her entire purpose is just to be like, okay, well, I'm chomping on this vegetable, I'm chomping on that. Oh, I had the chips at night, and I was just like, does this mean, you know, is this a sum up of teenage girls at the time and and now too? I mean, there's always so much pressure on women's bodies, but. Um, to be like, okay, I'm going to adhere by society's standards. This is the role I'm supposed to play. And then at night, just, oh, fuck it. I want to be me, you know? I kind of got that vibe. But I, I just never realized her spot in this movie. It's, 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 it, the character has always been very strange because I feel like she's been, seems relegated to the background of the storyline, mm -hmm. including, and I will talk about this maybe when we get towards the end of the movie, there's this shot that has always bothered me about Is it the, the cab? Or no? No, no, no. Okay, we'll get to the cab. Man, the, cab the cab always bothered me. I have a lot me. to say about the cab. <laughs> <laughs> This is at the very end. Of, we're going to jump okay. ahead. Quick, yeah. a quick jump ahead. When they are leaving, when the house is getting destroyed and the daughter shows up mm -hmm. and she's being dropped off by a transam, a red transam. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and she's like, what's happening? Yes. The only important line in the whole movie. Yes. And then they want her to get in the car. They never show you her getting in the car. In fact, what they show is a shot of Robbie, uh, Robbie the brother. Mm -hmm. and she's in the very background getting into the car. So it always confused me. Every time I watch this movie, it always feels like they left her behind when they drive away. And then you only realize like hmm. way later that she's actually in the back seat. So hmm. they never have a shot of her getting into the car. It's very confusing. Okay. And I feel like that's an example of how they treat her character. Yeah. Like movie. Just like a throwaway. the movie. Yeah. But then now with this whole eating disorder thing that I picked up on, yeah. which is there throughout. Throughout She's the whole thing. And I never paid attention to it. I was, the whole movie, I was now paying attention to what she was eating. Um, when they're having, there's a, first of all, this whole movie to me was about eating everyone is always fucking hungry there's huh. always food in every scene the freaking vortex well is this because you and i are, are doing that fasting thing where we don't really eat at night I, I <laughs> are we just know. thinking about food all the time <gasps> but it but it was like the the guy there's that whole sequence with the guy who wants to eat the chicken and the river at yeah. night everyone was always hungry and everyone was snacking all the time it's very strange yeah Oh, also tie into Spielberg of like eating after midnight. Maybe he, maybe he has the hang up. <laughs> it's so weird. Hmm. Hmm. So, Gremlins tie in. Okay, okay. So that was my first thought. I was like, Dana Freeling has an eating disorder? Question uh -huh. mark? Question mark? Question mark? And then I followed that. All we shall comment as we go through it okay. all throughout. Um, and then the other thing that I noticed in the opening sequence was. When Caroline goes up to the TV, and I was like, "Oh my God, that's all of us right now in yes. the quarantine." Yes. Yes. 
she's 100%. the norm. There's nothing strange about what she's doing. Yeah, we're like, educate <laughs> us, TV. Give us more things. Uh, we need you. We need you streaming. Netflix, yes. what, what do you have for me? <laughs> I need something. <laughs> Talk to me. <laughs> I need interaction. <laughs> so she was looking for connection on the TV, and I felt that that was... I felt she was a very normal character as opposed to her being the strange one in the family. So I was like, go, Caroline, get your TV fixed. I think, I think that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. In our quarantine TV watching culture, I mean, you and I watched so much TV already before, but now that, you know, everybody's confined to their house and we have so many options and great content, like TV's amazing now. Um, I, I've also like my friends in the industry that you know of as well. Uh, they are sick of watching things. They're like, "Fuck!" Like they're like, they're, they're like, "There's so many, so many books we can read. There's only so many shows we can watch." I'm sick of watching shows. And people who have never tried reality TV, I feel like they're you know free basing. They're they're trying to experiment of like, do I like this really shitty basic reality show, or do I want to watch a three hour documentary? I mean, people are just trying to find different realms of uh, cinema and literature to entertain themselves. And of course, everybody's planting and gardening and baking and cleaning, you know, all those things. But anyways, I think that's an <laughs> excellent point for the TV watching. I do want to talk about the reveal on Craig T. Nelson, how we get to know Craig T. Nelson's character. Yes, I, I do you have, do you have thoughts on this? I have things to say about Craig T. Nelson, but you go, you go. Okay. I have all these thoughts. <laughs> He is that I didn't have before. Right. I mean, everybody <laughs> loves him for for our older listeners like, you know, us. We we grew up with Coach, you know, TV sitcom, yeah. and he's a very likable guy. Um, rewatching this, if I hadn't known who he was in the eighties, I'd be like, Who is this dickhole? <laughs> you know? I mean, he's not that charismatic or or likable. Um, his character is so eighties macho dad. And as a child, I thought, oh, that's the norm, you know, because I was raised in the South and I saw a lot of that prototype. Um, but watching this, I'm like, man, what what a tool. <laughs> he's he's watching football, very aggro. Um, uh, he every, every time he turns on the TV, it's military themed, you know, to go back mm -hmm. with that whole America as an I as an ironic device um, so it's always like F troop war movies football and then the scene where he's with uh, Joe Beth Williams who side note is phenomenal in this movie mm -hmm. and she's the most underrated actress I will tell you right here and right now I swear <laughs> that Joe Beth Williams and Poltergeist and um, and Dee Wallace and mm -hmm. Cujo are the two most overlooked horror performances by mm -hmm. a woman in history. And they are so good. And I remember you and I seeing this at New Bev one of those times and everybody just laughing at her because she and like Dee Wallace and Cujo, they're at an 11 the entire time. But their performances are so strenuous and deeply layered. And oh my God, I, I just, just watch her all day. Anyways, just want to say, so Joe, Joe Beth smoking weed in the room, on the bed, and here Craig mm -hmm. T is reading a book on Reagan. And you and I, I remember discussing one of the times that we saw this. I hope I'm making sense, because I am like on my third hard kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> I started out with hard kombucha knowing that I would finish no, no, no. with a bottle of Skyfall. <laughs> you're, jumping into, just, you're jumping into my... Okay. My key scene. My key scene. Wait, well, where am I? Well, well, I want I want to okay. say that I remember you and I discussing um, when we saw it together at New Bev one of those times. Uh, we were like, "Oh, that was such a sweet parent moment. We got a glimpse onto the hippies they used to be." And then watching this with new eyes, I'm like, "He never smokes weed with her. He kind of jokes with her, but he's he's progressing into this new yuppie, and she's still like, okay, cool, well, hey, and then." I know you have things to say on that. I have things to say. But wait, before before we get there, or should we go there? Should we go there? Let me go there, and then I'll, I'll circle back to other notes that I had. But my first, that scene, when I see, you know, you see him with the cover of the Reagan book, I said, oh, my God, the free links are Republicans. <laughs> I never realized this. Yes, of course <laughs> they are. They're of Republicans. They are. So I'm like. Added horror. <laughs> Mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Uh, 
this family is not what we thought. Yeah. But then there was the twist. Because then you realize that they were hippies. Yeah. They had they changed like, their views. Peace and love, mm-hmm. motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders people in the 60s. So we, I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> There's a whole... And to me, that scene encapsulates the contradictions in the movie, but right. also the contradictions of America. Right. They're, they're Republicans who used to be liberals. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so... Um, there's that line where it's just, this is the line in that scene, right? Where, where, where did I write this? I wrote this line in page um, where she says, remember, no, no, that, that line comes later. So there's a line later in the movie where mm-hmm. Joe William tells them, remember when we were, what is it? When we were young, sorry, I'm going to, I don't want to butcher this line. Right, right, right. Remember when we were young and you had an open mind. Mm-hmm. And I connected that to this scene because... Um, I was going to say that too, that whenever I heard that line delivered later in the movie, you immediately flash to this scene. To this scene. Yeah. Because this scene is a complete contradiction. It's mm-hmm. like they're these like suburban, yuppie, white, conservative people who used to be these like hippie sweet and they're changing uh, they're changing their views because society is serving them that way it's not what they believe in it's they're like we're gonna get rich and have this really cool life and gold retriever and the kids and our little house on the indian burial ground you know (laughs) you know what one of the things about this movie they never leave that fucking house they never 90 i would say 97% of the movie takes place in the house, which I never really thought about. There's very few scenes outside of the house. Actually, there's only one scene outside of Cuesta Verde. Hmm. What would you call it? The neighborhood or the Mm -hmm. suburban area that they live in. The cul-de-sac. Yeah. Because there's like a scene where where he's showing other people a different house and it looks exactly like this house. They come Mm -hmm. in and all the houses are the same. Mm -hmm. Um and then there's like, you know, the scene where he goes with his boss, the real estate guy, and they go to the mountain. Right. But yeah. other than those scenes, the only scene outside of the house is when they go to the university to, to talk. To, when he, Craig T. Nelson goes to the university to talk to the paranormal people. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the whole movie takes place inside the house. So it's this whole idea that the house is their whole world, their whole existence, which and is also, our lives. Yeah, it's 100% our lives. It's 100% in quarantine and being sheltered in place. Um, do you... The idea th- of not going anywhere and just being afraid of the outside world in general. Yeah, yeah. So, I totally agree with that. And do you think, I mean, educate me on this. Is there a genre that already exists? Um, is, like, is there a name for it? Where it's the Polanski movies, um, like the whole cul-de-sac and repulsion thing the tenant. yeah and the tenant i was like there's a third one the tenant and poultry things that just take, rosemary's baby yeah Rose rosemary's thing. baby where the terror is inside not just like oh the killer's inside the house but where the actual living arrangement is very um i'm trying to think of the right word it's very claustrophobic is there mm-hmm. a genre of film for this? I mean, I'm sure there's going to be. There's going to be quarantine films for sure as hell. But is there? I think does that already exist? So I think there is the isolation. That, I mean, I guess the the more known version of this genre is just the haunted house or the shining, the haunting. You know, those kind of movies that come all the go all the way back to gothic literature about, mm-hmm. you know, the house is your mind and you're going crazy. Oh, yeah, and Henry and then, James and yeah, Henry yeah, James. Okay. And Shirley Jackson, Haunting of Hill House. Right. And so forth. So there is definitely a literary genre where the, the idea of a haunting or some sort of it's really a psychological breakdown. Okay. Right? So they're so they're always connected. The, okay. the idea of like you're going insane because you're inside your own head. Right. And the house is like your head. And, yeah. Um but, and, and I guess this movie takes that to a family level, right? So the family's supposed to live inside this perfect suburban house and their house becomes the source of their horrors. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this movie, I think, in part, so I guess the genre is that, what would we call this? I, call, I would say I would call it haunted spaces, but yeah, not all of them are The idea haunting. of a haunted house is like you're trapped inside the house. So 
yeah. and the house is, is messing with your yeah. perception, and but it's really about you're you're going crazy. Oh, we should rewatch a uh, Hush Hush, Sweet Charlotte. Yes, which one of my students just said that that was their favorite movie. Oh, uh, we'll give that students. student an A plus plus plus. Yeah, they have Betty Davis taste all the way. <laughs> um, so, in terms of this movie, which I guess fits, you know, it's definitely part of that of that whole haunted house gothic tradition mm-hmm. but what it does differently is that it has it's a political allegory like i mean we first few frames like you said this is all about the 80s as being this kind of strange time which is very similar to our time hmm. um where there is this strange battle between two sides of two ways of thinking, this conservative, afraid of the outside world thinking, mm-hmm. suburban, white thinking, and then this kind of more liberal, more open-minded way of thinking, mm-hmm. which I think what Jobeth represents. I remember when you had an open mind. Mm-hmm. So it me, but what I found interesting was like, it was not that you're one or the other as a person. It's like the same person has had a journey from being one to the other. So they're both. Mm-hmm. And so in the movie, both the couple represents this kind of, they almost represent America. They represent the problem that we have right now Mm -hmm. with two ways of thinking that are like at this war with each other. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, we can say live in two completely different virtual realities of what life is. So I thought it was interesting that I thought, Oh my God, they're Republicans. And they're like, well, wait, they're not. (laughs) And I was like, what is going on here? This, and so that brought a whole other dynamic to the movie. And um, one of the things before we keep going, because I, I want to go back to a point that you made about about nature, which mm-hmm. is something I pointed out at the beginning of the movie. I really noticed that there was a dead tree in the middle of the suburban landscape in the opening credits. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know this tree is a figure that comes back in the scene when the tree attacks the house, Mm -hmm. but this is not the same tree. It's not their tree. Mm -hmm. It's a different tree. And it's right in the middle of its, of the, of the, I don't know, the road or the street. Yeah. 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 And it's like, it has a, like its own little area, but Uh all the trees are green and the street is fucking dead. And it's, you know, California summer. Yeah. So it looked very striking. Uh Why are there dead trees in the middle of this lush, perfect picket fence well and and then craig t tells robbie or joe beth later i think it was robbie um that when they were designing the housing development they're like oh we're gonna leave this tree and i don't know if it was the tree that ultimately attacks robbie or the one that you're speaking of that's you know the kind of they they look the same but it's not but they're not the same this is when the guy is bringing the beer and he's in the bicycle around Mm -hmm. and the kids are playing with him with a car but he just there's this humongous dead tree in the mm-hmm. middle of the <laughs> and I was like, What what the fuck is that tree doing there? Yeah. And so I kind of then eventually connected that to this idea of they think they live in this neighborhood full of life, but it's dead mm-hmm. underneath. And it's foreshadowing the mm-hmm. fact that there's dead bodies mm-hmm. underneath and they're basically living in a cemetery. But it also connects to the idea that this entire development has basically is killing nature right they live in dead nature they just don't know it so it's like they're ignoring that that tree in the middle is glaring dead tree so i thought oh my god this is there's an environmental commentary oh yeah like people Um, uh i you can construe that as flat earthers you can construe that to global warming when there's clear science and you feel the earth dying around us and people being like, well, no, no, there's no data though. Like, I mean, it's what you choose to believe. And mm-hmm. it's just so frustrating also with COVID and which we don't even have enough time to go into that. Uh, there are people that just deny, deny, deny. We don't want to see it, but it's obviously right fucking there dead in, in the middle of, of the street. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I totally get that. So that was one thing. And then the other thing you mentioned already this scene. So I, I'll put my commentary that, the scene when um, it's the opening scene with Craig T and his friends are watching mm-hmm. the football game. <gasps> yes, I have things and to say re- about this as well. The remote control. So I was like, I wrote down all these white men fighting for control. Oh, 
Oh, so, wow. And then they're like switching and it's Mr. Rogers. Uh-huh. And and I was like, there's this, at the beginning, of, Craig T. Nelson is very prominent at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. as the bad. And that's one thing I want to comment when we get to act two. Yeah. But I was like, you know, these, the fighting with the remote was very much very significant and then Jobeth is not even right it's not her world she's she's teaching Carol Ann about death about death yeah and and then Roby mentions can we and this is something I never noticed can we unbury the dead bird later to see what it looks like when it's um, like decomposing he doesn't use that word totally did not again wow foreshadowing the end of the movie when all the dead bodies come out right but also, again, the mom is teaching their kids about fucking death and bodies coming out of the ground right. while the dad is playing control with his neighbor. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, what is going on here? That is fascinating because, yeah, that's barbaric behavior. It goes more into like the militant theme. And it's like, okay, the, the mom is doing her duty, raising the kids and being like, okay, well, let me tell you about death because this is going to be a reality in your young little life. But um, I do want to piggyback on the neighbors thing because this time watching and his whole entire dynamic with the neighbor was so COVID quarantine 2020 related to me because everybody is losing their goddamn mind that's stuck in their house, especially apartments. So you're in your fabulous house, you know, you have room and a yard. And I feel like the people that have more space or a yard to go to, or even rooftops, if you're in an apartment, those people are doing a little bit better. Um, there are people in, in Los Angeles. I, I enjoy my apartment and I love, 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 love my next door neighbors. You know them, Mike and Blas, shout out. <laughs> so so I can like yell at them through the kitchen window. And we can have like social distancing conversations that way and it's fun. But all the neighbors under us are going fucking insane because everybody's at home all the time. People are really testy. Um, people are bored and just... People like to get angry and bitch and moan. And so, I mean, we're steering um, the situation as best we can, but our neighbors are just complaining more than they ever have before. Nothing has changed. We're just home a bit more, but we're very respectful and, and whatnot. So the neighbor component I found fascinating because the only time that Craig T and Joe Beth go over and get to know their neighbors, it's a very 80s and beyond thing. They don't know their neighbors. In the 50s, you had to know who your neighbors were in case you got shot or you needed help, you needed a cup of sugar. (laughs) I mean, everybody knew everybody's business. And then as society grew, we became a little bit more jaded. We didn't want people in our space. We wanted privacy. And the only time he talks to the neighbors is to bitch at them or he needs something from them. And I felt that very correlated in 2020. Because he goes, he yells at the neighbor for the TV, and he's like, oh, we have an earthquake or disturbance, and immediately the guy's like, why, why, why the fuck are you on my doorstep? Get out of here. You know, and they're next to our neighbors. In theory, they should be getting along, you know? So it's 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 showing that the opposite of what suburbia should be. Like, right. No way, right. So it's That is much better put. This function of suburbia, as opposed to like, oh, suburbia is supposed to be like, here's your name. Neighbors, but they're not really connecting. Like you're you know, right. they have that mosquito scene. Yeah, and, and kind of like how you know <laughs> how kind of uh, Tim Burton would always romanticize suburbia of everybody's the same. You know, like Edward Scissorhands or something. Everybody's the same, but quirky, and you're expected to operate, you know, under a certain kind of societal rule. And I feel like that was the dream sold for if you want to live in a suburb. I'm just like, it's calm. There's not going to be homeless people yelling at the bus stop outside of your window. It's going to be okay. And uh, and here it was very aggro. It's like he could have been living in Hell's Kitchen or downtown LA and just going next door and screaming at this guy, you know? And speaking of, it's true. Like it's, it's kind of somewhat chaotic that their suburban existence is not what you would think. Yeah. Um, so... One of the things that I thought of 
Oh, I had this like random thought. What, such a huge house, and why do the kids have to share a bedroom? Oh I my god, I wrote that down too. I was just like, <laughs> didn't this guy design this fucking neighborhood? Why are they Brady bunching it? Why are they sharing the same room? And I thought, okay, maybe the teenage daughter is going to go off to college soon, and Robbie gets the. I, I, it really bothered I just, me. They see there were enough rooms in that house. <laughs> I know. I don't know why. <laughs> It's so weird. That's hilarious. Um, okay, so thank you for listening to part one of Poltergeist. As you can tell, we're very passionate and in-depth with this this movie and what's going on in our society and linking the similarities. So I hope you enjoyed this. And if you like it, like us, have some suggestions, um, please come back for episode two. We're figuring out this podcast as we go. It's new to us. Um, but yeah, if you're into seeing how poltergeist and ghosts and demons and Zelda Rubenstein all relate to this crazy, crazy hellscape that is 2020. Um, come back for part two of poltergeist. Thank you so much for listening to us. You're awesome. Bye.